find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. listeners i'm cindy and i'm diva and we are the twisted listeners a weekly podcast about murder and lists each week we cover 10 cases that all fall under a specific topic which we also choose weekly past topics have included family annihilators murderous moms mysterious and spooky deaths online predators and other truly twisted topics we cover many well-known cases but we also love to sprinkle in some lesser known murders so there's always something new and surprising in every episode So if you love lists and true crime as much as we do, then we're the podcast for you. Join us for some twisted tales and interesting topics every week. And remember, stay off our lists. Welcome to Cruelty Podcast. This is Lillian. And with me, as always, is Willow. Hello. I sound like I'm pepping my step because I've had sleep and I'm not dying. Great. Yay. So we're coming into a new theme. That's also why I'm bubbly. New theme, new month. New me. No, same old fucking me. Uh, This is House of Horrors Month. And I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all right now, we got trigger warnings coming out the ass. Yes. End of everywhere. Yes. Y'all, this is... And I want to say this yeah. before we start, yeah. and then I'll shut up and let you do this case. No, you're you're more than welcome. Um, I'm never, ever, ever in a million years going to shame somebody for having a dirty house. And y'all, I don't care how fucking dirty it is. I don't care if you got crap from the floor to the ceiling. I've been there. I was depressed. I needed help. I have helped clean out people's hoarding mm-hmm. situations. So that I want you to know right now, absolutely no judgment yeah. coming from me. Yeah. It's Mm-mm. it's it's the other things that happened in this case. It's yes, not, it's not the mess. Yeah, although it is a huge part of it. If you can reach out for help, hey, if you are right now struggling mm-hmm. with mess in your home because it's sad, reach out to me and I'll help you get some resources, yes. please. Yes. And I'll leave my email in the description. And yeah. this is going to go for we're going to have a lot of domestic violence cases, mm-hmm. child neglect, child abuse, child sexual abuse. It runs the gamut for every single episode yep. this month. House so, of Horrors. That's that's really what that is, is, is being trapped in a home where there's violence, and that's domestic. That's that's what yes. that is. So. And this is a big one for mental mm-hmm. health issues, mm-hmm. and we will link resources in yeah. every single episode. Mm-hmm. And please don't hesitate to reach out to me yeah. if you can't navigate it and you're overwhelmed. I will try and help you. Mm-hmm. So that being said, we're going to get into to the first case of this month, which is Willow. No, that's not the case. I'm no. like, yeah. I was like, give it away, Willow. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, the the case today is the the Turpin family, the Turpin 13. Um, and yeah, that's 13 children. 
from the ages of 2 to 29 so horrifically abused that by their parents that when they were finally found, police said that all the children looked much younger than they were. None of the adult children actually looked like they were adults. They were so emaciated that their bones were so small and so frail. They were covered in filth and bruises, some chained to their beds, so malnourished that they all had to go to the hospital immediately. Many probably would not have survived much longer had one of their siblings not been so brave one random night and escaped and got help. And I'm just going to tell y'all, this is an amazing survival story, too. Amazing survival I'm familiar story. with this case. Absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, huge trigger warning. We're going to be talking about... A whole lot of domestic abuse, domestic violence uh, towards children, definitely some triggering things. So if that triggers you, obviously we have a lot of other episodes. Yeah, go binge those. To. Go binge those. Patreon. It is yes. Um, but yeah, I yeah this this case has greatly affected me in my life. I remember whenever it very first came out. Um, I know you do too because we yes. were talking about yeah. it earlier. Um, this case came out in 2018 and um man what an impact so yeah so we're gonna get into it um so we're starting out with what everybody else saw what you and i saw in 2018 uh, what the world saw when this story broke um it was a surveillance video in the middle of the night in a neighborhood in um, in a middle-class neighborhood in the middle of, like, a residential Southern California neighborhood. All the houses are so nice. Everybody's so nice. Nothing ever goes on it's there. It's just picture it's suburbia. Just, yeah, it's, it's exactly what suburbia looks like in your head. And outside of one of the houses, a surveillance video captures a small girl, a dark figure of a small girl that kind of just jumps out of the shadows. She appears and... Uh, she appears from this house and she doesn't know which way to go. You can tell she's kind of sporadic at first. She runs one way, she runs another way, and um, then she she just picks up speed and runs as fast as she can. Looking over her shoulder, constantly checking her surroundings, she pulls out an old disabled cell phone and, that can only call one number. That's 911. And so we're going to play the 911 call. It's also the the it's the audio from the 911 call followed by the audio from the body cam because while she's on the phone, um, the police show up and then um, you can kind of hear some of the audio from that. Um, it's just a small clip of the 911 call. It's not the full 911 call and it's not the full body cam, but you can kind of understand the experience. Yes, yeah, so I'll be linking both full versions in the absolutely, description. Absolutely. They just didn't have a full version available of both of them at the same time. Um, but you'll notice that her voice sounds like a small child's voice. Very, very quiet, very soft-spoken, a little bit of a speech impediment. She doesn't understand a lot of words, and um, she just sounds very small. Mm -hmm. She's 17 years old. She's almost an adult. And this 911 call is her very first time speaking on the phone. The very first time she's ever spoken to anyone outside of her household. This is the first time she's actually been outside. And and it's only to 
basically save all of her siblings' lives. It's absolutely devastating. Um, it was so hard for me to get through all of this research without yeah, bawling right. my eyes out, which I did profusely. But um, yeah, so you're going to hear that. It's it's clipped from the Diane Sawyer interview, which I love. It's, it's also going to be available in the links. It's an amazing interview. Um, and so you're going to hear a little bit of her voice narrating. Um, but yeah, here it is. This is 911. Do you have an emergency? Um, I just ran away from home. Do you know what street you're on? Um, no. Uh, I just ran away from home because I live in a family of 15, okay? Can you hear me? And we have abusing parents. Did you hear that? Okay, how did they abuse you? Okay. They hit us, they throw us across, they like to throw us across the room. They pull our hair, they, they yank out our hair. I have two, my two little sisters right now are chained up. Okay, how Did old you are you? I'm 17. What's your name? Golden Turpin. Okay, I'm gonna connect you to the service department so that they can help. What? One moment, don't hang up. I won't. Jordan? You are looking at the body camera footage from the deputy as he arrives. What's going on? Okay. I just ran away from home. Okay. And I live in a family of 15. Okay. My two little sisters right now are chained up. They're chained up? Yes. Where are they chained up at? On the bed. Now, mother didn't chain them up just to be mean. Okay. Perfect. They're chained up because they stole mother's food. Uh-huh. But I'm sorry if I talk too much. Okay. I've never talked to anybody out there, so I don't, I don't I've never been alone with the person, so <clears throat> this is very hard for me to talk. Okay. How did you, do your parents know you left your house? No, they don't. Do you take any medication? What's medication? Medication? Yeah, what's medication? Do you take pills? Do you take pills? Oh, I don't think I've ever taken a pill before. Okay. Right, I haven't. Um, but... The girl with the strange vocabulary nervously puts on a little hat, a reminder of one of her sisters who's depending on her. Our parents are abusing. They abuse us. But the reason I called and the reason I managed to get out here, this is one of the most scary things I've ever done. Uh -huh. I'm terrified. But I called because my two little sisters, they're chained up right now. Do you have pictures of that? Yes, I can show you. I actually didn't have it, and then one of my sisters told me I need to get pictures. You have pictures of your sisters chained up? Yes, but uh, they're, yeah, they're in here. Okay. I, I don't have proof of everything, but I have proof that my sisters are chained up. So see? She doesn't seem to know the word bruised. Wait, you can look at that. See, those are the places that make an omen. And see how dirty she is? We're so filthy. We, we, we don't take baths. We don't. How did your sisters get like this? Okay. Your parents yeah, chained them up? Yes, because they stole food. Okay. But they stole it because they were hungry. Who took this picture? I did. I took those pictures. <clears throat> okay. You make sure to save these, okay? Okay, I will. Don't get rid of those. I will. I won't. She, the thing that gets me is that she says, these are the places that make in on them. 
because she didn't understand the word for bruise. That is so pitiful. It is so fucking heartbreaking. It really is. Just you, and you can just tell, and just that small little window into her speech and into her concerns, what her life was like. She's absolutely terrified. She knows that if she doesn't communicate what is going on inside that household correctly to the police, that those police officers are just going to take her back. Yeah. Right? It's not like we haven't seen that happen before, too, so it's not entirely unfounded. And it happens in this case. Yeah. It does. This isn't the first time that one of the children tried to escape. No, it's not. But luckily, it is the last. Now, the Turpin family, um, its parents, David and Louise Turpin, they had been keeping their 13 children in complete isolation and torment for close to 30 years. And they'd gotten away with all of it. All of the children suffered from physical and sometimes sexual abuse. They were starved, chained, and forced to fend for themselves a lot of the time. Some of the children recall having to eat old old packets of ketchup and ice in order to survive. It's just so fucked up. Because there was nothing else for them to eat. Um, They were completely covered in filth. They weren't allowed to have clean clothes. They were only allowed to shower once a year. Trash piled up high all around the house. The children complained about the air being so bad that they'd get sick and it was hard for them to breathe. But David was a computer engineer. Their father had plenty of money. They lived in a very nice house, in a very nice neighborhood. They drove brand new cars. Most of their houses were brand new houses. Um... And all 15 of them would go on trips to Vegas and Disneyland, Mm -hmm. and they would be wearing, like, all matching brand new clothes. Um, All of their hair would be done exactly the same. It was very cultish. Reminded me of the Duggars a little bit. Yeah, that's actually in my notes. It's like, hmm, a lot like the Duggars, Mm, yeah. It smells of Duggar. It does smell of Duggar, only, like, eventually West Coast Duggar. Um, But... Yeah, all of the children, so all of the boys, just to give you a description, if you haven't seen the photos, all of the boys have bowl cuts like their father. It's very bad. Um, and it's all, you know, done from It's home, home haircuts, for sure. And then all of the girls have these really blunt, thick bangs with the with the straight, um, straight edge cutting. It just looked like so much maintenance and upkeep and just, like... It was weird. They all looked the same. They all looked the same. Yes, it is and, strange. And like, like I said, when when this um, story broke, the ages were from two to twenty nine, right? That's a huge fucking age gap. But they all looked the same. They were so malnourished. They didn't have a they chance to grow. They all looked like children. Yeah. Um, but to the outside world, they most people just thought, oh, they were just small. They're just small people. They're just lanky, you know, Um, because they would always be dressed in very nice clothes when they went out. So they were taught to, you know, look nice, smile, you know, show everyone how much fun you're having. And and it seems to me and I don't know if you agree with this or not, that Mm -hmm. the vacations were more like to show people, see, the kids are fine and we're taking really good care of. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. A thousand percent. It's not them getting to go play. No, no, no. No. It was it was it was part of the abuse because they weren't allowed to have nice things. As soon as they wore them out, they had to take those clothes off. They weren't allowed to touch them. They had to put on dirty clothes after that. They weren't 
like they like I'll get into it, but they weren't even allowed to wash their hands above their wrist because that was wasting water. Like it's just madness. It's it is absolute madness, and it's part of their torture that they would have to go out in public. It's almost like like dangling them before all of the people that could be saving their lives. Look, you are in public. You know, it was like some weird flex of control. Yeah, like your taste of freedom is right there, but you're not gonna get but it. I'm because snatching you, it away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're too scared. So fucked. Yeah. And a lot of these outings were even videotaped. Um, there's tons of pictures of the families going out and doing things. But she dressed her children in a way that you couldn't really tell that they were emaciated. And their long hair, their bigger clothes kind of covered that up. And um, Boy, but when you look at it through the lens of knowing what happens, you, you know, can tell. Once you know you their ages. Tell. Yes. You can tell they're you definitely tell. malnourished. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, they had tons of money. They had tons of resources. Um, they just chose not to utilize that for their children. So this isn't a, a case of poverty or lack of ability. Um, or they lack wanted, of resources. Or lack of resources. They wanted their children to suffer, and that's the difference. And a lot of the, I, I would say, predominantly the abuse started with the mother. It was actually um, pretty much all the mother's doing. She was the main ringleader behind this entire thing. Um, Louise, she was always the one in charge. She was always the one making the rules. She herself was abused as a child. And so this part of the story, I really just don't understand. I personally cannot understand being abused to that extent and then raising an entire family in it as well. And the abuse didn't just happen before, you know, it, uh, it's one of those family curses. You know what I mean? It's one of those generational curses that we talk about. Yeah. Uh, well, this is something real. I've actually given quite a lot of thought to because I was very much abused by both parents right. growing up, verbal, right. sexual, physical, the whole nine yeah. yards. And my mother mm -hmm. uh, was the, largely the perpetrator mm -hmm. and she had been molested as a child. So I thought, why would you do it to me? Right. Then? Right. Why would you hurt me like right. this then? Right. And I just think she didn't know how else to be like, it's like a weird muscle memory. I, yeah, it's like it's like almost the abuse in and of itself creates its own type of mental illness that we yes. don't really understand. Yeah, I think she was definitely coming from a traumatized person place. Right. To give her some empathy, I mean, <laughs> I'm not her fan, and that no. really fucked me up as a kid. Yeah. And I just, I don't know, I still struggle with understanding how. And right. I've read a lot of papers on it, I've read a lot of books and research, and there is no answer. Right. That the cycles of abuse it stop just, with you. Yeah, it just has to. You have you to have stop. You have to make it. You and if you don't think you can, then those kids need to go to somebody who okay. won't hurt them. Yeah. And I think that's really hard because I think nobody, yeah. just about nobody has kids thinking, I'm going to torture these kids and ruin their life. I think I some know, people I think, do. I think these. I think they did. I think they did. I think they did. But I think largely people don't do. But that. I think it's because she was broken to begin with. Oh, it's part of it. You know, and I hate to call somebody else broken, but man, okay. Well, yeah, we we could speculate. Yeah, all day. but it, it, she comes from her own house of horrors, 
and the house of horrors begins to get passed down from lineage to lineage almost like a bad heirloom that you can't get rid of um the original house of horrors was in princeton uh west virginia she was six uh or she was one of six siblings the daughter of a preacher she was sexually assaulted by her grandfather who had also continuously sexually assaulted her mother her aunts her cousins her siblings pretty much any female in the family was designated to the grandfather and uh, Louise's parents were so bad off money wise that her mother who had been sexually abused by her father would sell her children to their grandfather so that way she could you know have money for groceries and rent and things like that that's so fucked absolutely and Louise was even known by her sisters to almost throw herself in front of them you know would offer herself up for abuse so that way her sisters wouldn't get it as much things like that she would she would protect them she was known to protect them and it's just so sickening that she would protect her sisters so not her own children but not her own children wonder if that has anything to do with the husband though I know he's a sick fuck, yeah. but I think he's a sick fuck because she's a sick fuck. Um, because she, so she went through all of this sexual abuse as a young child. It was very well known in the family that it was unspoken. The women did not speak out against the grandfather about this, um, even though they all knew that it was wrong and that he shouldn't be doing it. I think that he had some sort of hierarchy placeholder in the family. Um, but by the time... Louise was about 13 years old in church. She saw this little geeky, bowl cut, have an ass kid sitting in the in the um, in the church pews, and she was like, "Ooh, his family is from money. He's nerdy as hell. I can do anything I want to him. Like I can just make him mine, and he will solve all my problems." And she waited until she was 16 years old. They got married. They moved to Texas and immediately started a family. Um, Weird. He was her ticket out. She was 16. He was 23 years old. I mean, I get it. I get why she had that thought process. Mm -hmm. It makes total logical sense to me. Absolutely. It's survival mode at that time. She's been she's been abused for who knows how long. And she's she's tired of it by the age of 13. Yeah. And it that kind of abuse makes you precocious. It mm-hmm. makes you grow up fast. Yes. It makes an yes. old person out yes, of you. Yes, it does. Yes, it absolutely does. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I understand getting the fuck out of there, you know, and I understand getting the fuck out of there at all costs. But um, something something happened. I don't know if it was a mixture of the isolation that happened quickly afterwards because they immediately started having kids like rabbits. I mean, they, they were originally Pentecostal, but as they grew their family, they quit going to church and had more church at home and became kind of like their own makeshift, uh, weird, culty type of Christianity. For sure. Something. They made up their own something. And it was very centered around their child abuse and child neglect and, and weird rituals that they made the children do and 
just their weird their weirdness I, don't, I do know this I think it is super easy for isolated people to build their own little weird world mm-hmm. and stuff that wouldn't be okay outside the house it's okay because it's your world mm-hmm. and then the rest of the world almost becomes the enemy yeah and I yeah. think this is what it's happened like a microcosm here. very much mm-hmm. very much mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. um so yeah, they went on to have ten daughters and three sons between 1988 and 2015. Damn, it's 13 kids, and that is so much baby making time. You know what I mean? Well, you're not, you're nine to ten months down. 1988. It's to one after another. She has spent all that time pregnant. All that time. 13 years pregnant, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. And think about, like, before we get into the, like, main story and everything, think about, like, the the hormonal psychosis that goes on with, um, you know, going through pregnancy and then postpartum and all of that, mixed with all of the trauma from abuse growing I up. That. I mean, I didn't ever read about her having postpartum depression. No, I'm just saying that it can happen. Me. I'm just saying it. And nobody said that she had it. Yeah, I'm just saying it, it can totally me. happen. With that many kids... It didn't hit me till my second. Yeah. Yeah. But it hit me. Yeah. It can happen to anybody. Yeah. So I'll have resources for that, too, if I'm going to mention it. You know, like, I don't know. I try try to figure this out as I go because it's like... It doesn't make sense. Because the human brain wants to know why, how, what, and there's just some things you can't understand. So as soon as they got married, they moved to Fort Worth, Texas for David's job as an engineer and to get away from her family in West Virginia. They lived there for about 10 years where they raised their first eight children. It was here that the House of Horrors began developing. They built um, the facade of a nice Christian family. They didn't go to church, but like I said, they had a very strict Bible study schedule at home and basically created their own version of Christianity. All the kids would dress to perfection. All of them had J names, which is the same. That smells of Duggar as well. <laughs> does, no, don't why, y'all, why can't we pick E? <laughs> Ezekiel. <laughs> then I'm out. Why does everybody have to have the same letter? I don't get it. Whatever. I don't know. Um, they lived in a nice neighborhood. Like I said, they drove nice cars. They had all the nice things. They were living the American dream on the outside. Right? He got to go to work as an engineer. That's so fucking cool. And then she got to stay home and raise babies and be motherly. That's so cool. Um... But behind closed doors, the children were being starved, restricted of hygiene, and obviously so much worse. Now, in the beginning, um, they would buy family members plane tickets to come visit them, and they'd get the kids all dressed up to go, like I said, on outings for appearances and everything like that. Um, but when the ch- when there was only four children at the time so early on to their stay in Fort Worth about 5 years into their stay Louisa's sister came to live with them during the summer in between college mm-hmm. um, semesters and she said that during that time the children were only allowed to talk to her if Louise said it was okay Oh, that scene and not heard shit. That's what I grew up with. But this is like to the extreme, extreme, extreme. It is to the like extreme. Like they literally had to have permission granted to them to speak to their aunt. Um, the children 
um, the oldest one of the children was treated way more harshly than the rest. And this is only at age, at, at, at level four, <laughs> level four out of 13. Um, so this is very early on and it just, uh, it sickens me because the oldest one is treated like shit the entire fucking time. Um, she was made to be quiet unless spoken to. She was made to stay in her room 24-7. She could never come out of her room unless it was to eat. And if she did, she had to do this whole fucking song and dance and ritual where she stood behind the chair, didn't sit down until everybody else sat down. You know, was restricted to, like, the umpteenth degree. It just, it's an max of just controlling everything, even the minutia yes, of life. And yes, I find that yes. so bizarre. It's, it's very, like... She's got to have such a big ego in order to dictate that much. Because I, I would just get real bored of telling somebody what to do every five Lord, seconds. I couldn't even, like, keep up telling her to put the napkin in their lap. No. That, like, she, fuck it. she got so high off of it. She really, yeah, really did. She really did. Um, do you think maybe it's because she felt such a lack of control as a child that she oh, is absolutely. now exerting it over her own? Absolutely. She's just... Fucking riling in it. She just loves it. She's eating it up. Sorry, I'm just going to continue to try and find out why this is happening. I think I think so the much. discussion is good to have. You know, yeah. like especially in the climate right now, we're not allowed to have fucking abortions, so we're going to have to have these children. We might as well talk about how we going to raise mm-hmm. them. So she said that, like, yeah, all this shit with the children was really weird, but she also said that. Um, the, the the parenting style was, was very strange. That David stayed very reserved. He was always in the room just observing. But Louise would dictate. She would, you know, bark orders and have all the rules and would kind of make eye contact with David for approval. Yeah. Like, Ew. Yeah, like, see, I did good, right? Um, yeah. The sister said that she wasn't allowed to make phone calls from the house. She wasn't allowed to have people over. She wasn't allowed to tell anyone where she lived. She wasn't allowed to talk to anyone or hang out with anyone. And if she did any of those things, that she would, quote, have to find another place to go. Then things got weird. So if that wasn't weird enough. I was like, what do you mean weird? It's already weird. So Louise's sister now... While she's staying there, she just wants to take a shower like any normal person. You're right. She has the door locked because, ooh, everybody's so creepy. Mm-hmm. Her sister Louise takes a um, metal clothing hanger and picks the lock and opens the door to the bathroom. And David's right there. And they oh, watch no. her shower. And, yeah, and, like, the whole time, like, just staring at her. And when, like, she tries to, like, cover up, like, they both mock her for being naked and for feeling weird about being naked in front of them. And also, like, just make her be naked in front of them. Like, they won't leave, you know what I mean? And it's just a very strange, like, sexual violation that is weird. And that's your sister. And that's her husband. And David's just, like, watching because Louise told him to watch. Yeah. I'd get the hell up on out yeah. of there. Yeah. Yeah. she did. Well, she, she ended up having a job at this time, and it was found out that somehow Louise found out that she had talked about this to one of her uh, coworkers, and she got kicked out because of it. 
Oh, thank the Lord. She she only like Skyped them a couple times, had a couple phone calls after that, but after this, she never stepped foot in front of her sisters, her sister or the uh, children ever again. She never met any of the other ones. I don't blame her. I don't either, but I feel bad for her because she holds a lot of guilt. I'm sure she does, but she shouldn't. I know. I know. If someone treated me that way, I want nothing to do with them either. And you say, well, what about the kids? But she knows that all that control, she ain't going to have access to them. No, look at the facade. Exactly. Until you have proof, you can't do anything. This is the law in the United States. So even if you suspect something, like there's really not a lot you can do until it's bad yeah and you have evidence mm-hmm. now the oldest like i said um the one that was treated really terribly the most her name is jennifer and she's one of the two that is outspoken about what they've been through yes um she was one of the few that actually like got to go to school because she's the oldest so she got to go to at least i think first or second maybe third grade but after that she was taken out of school um and it was because of her presence there at school that she made an impact on a lot of people for obvious reasons but um it was because of this impact that she was taken out of school because she was noticed and she was picked on and it was really 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 sad she probably smelled bad she didn't she really did. Um, I'm going to read an excerpt from uh, one of her classmates that was in her classroom that observed her getting bullied and what he has to say about it, looking back after finding out what type of abuse she had gone through. So, um, yeah, he was in her third grade class in Texas, and he wrote this post on Facebook after um, everything leaked in 2018. He says, Jennifer Turpin was a girl at Meadow Creek Elementary that nobody wanted to be caught talking to. Every grade level had that designated quote-unquote cootie kid, and she held the title for our year. Jennifer was a frail girl, had pen straight hair with bangs, and often wore the same purple outfit. I'm gonna. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, t- I'm tuning up. This is really important, though. It's it's really yeah, important. And I'll, we'll talk about it in a second. Yeah. So, she was often made fun of by the other third graders because her clothes would sometimes look as though she had been dragged through the mud, which she probably was. She would also smell like that on most days. I distinctly remember my entire third grade class scoffing at her one day because our teacher had asked her to discard a scrunchie that she had made that she had used out of a discarded foil wrapper from an old Hershey's bar that she found in the trash. Oh, fuck. After that year, Jennifer moved away. She was forgotten about after we moved on to the next quote-unquote cootie kid. Several years later, after high school, I found myself thinking about her again. I went on Facebook, but there was no matching results. I assumed that Jennifer hadn't been hit by the social media bug. I also thought that somehow Jennifer was probably living her best life, showing all of us gawky third graders how she'd come, how far she'd come. She was going to be that person at our reunion looking completely flawless and making six figures while the rest of us tried to conceal our receding hairlines and minimum wage jobs. I feel like we all have that kind of hope that those people that were marginalized growing up somehow grew past those circumstances and essentially grew up to kick ass in life. But 
what I hoped for Jennifer, but that's what I had hoped for Jennifer. I was so sure that that was what had happened, but today I read about how her parents kept her and her brothers and sisters captive inside their home in Southern California. I can't help but feel an overwhelming sense of guilt and shame. Of course, none of us are responsible for the events that ensued, but you can't help but feel rotten when the classmate your peers made fun of for smelling like poop quite literally had to sit in her own waist because she was chained to her bed. It's nothing but sobering to know that the person who sat across from you at the lunch table went home to squalor and filth while you went home to a warm meal and a bedtime story. The resounding lesson here is a simple one. Be nice. Teach your children to be nice. If you see someone isolated, befriend them. If you see someone marginalized, befriend them. If you see someone that's different, befriend them. A simple act of kindness and acceptance may be the ray of hope that person needs. Befriend the Jennifer Turpins of the world. Jennifer, despite being vehemently vilified by her peers, was still one of the most pleasant people I have ever had the opportunity to meet. That cheerful disposition is what makes me certain that Jennifer will prevail. That despite being let down by her parents and her peers alike, Jennifer rose above it all. And I'm going to be rooting for her as her peer, as her classmate, and as her friend. This message is so important. Yeah. Because we weren't, we're not taught this. And I really had to have a sit down with my oldest, my 14 year old, because he's in school and, you know, there's Jennifer Turpins of the world everywhere and they go unnoticed, they go unchecked, they go unloved. They go unfriended, you know? Yeah. I was designated uh, the Cooney Kid in fourth grade because I had a seizure in front of my classmates. Big. And, y'all, I was... I lost... I lose bladder control when I have seizures. Never, so. but, well, yeah, when you have seizures. I was in a brown chair, so nobody would sit in the brown chairs for the rest of the school years in fourth grade, and it continued until sixth grade. I thought it would stop when I went to the, the junior. Like, like, maybe they'll forget. They're high. They didn't forget, and they relentlessly teased me to the point I was suicidal. And I'm telling y'all... And I remember every one of the motherfuckers' names, trust that I do. Mm -hmm. And I get it, your kids. And I have empathy because you either grew out of it or you were going through some shit yourself. Or you're just echoing what your parents talk like. Or you're just joining in with a group because you're so afraid they'll turn that on you. Mm -hmm. I get it. Mm -hmm. But man, not one person was my friend. And I could have used one. So I want y'all to, like, play this for your kid. Let them... I don't care what age they are. They're, you know, life is hard. World's harsh. Let's be nice to each other. We're all each other got. Yeah. And some adults could stand to listen to that, too, yeah. frankly. Mm-hmm. Racist uncle at Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Damn. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm good. I'm crying now. I'm going to look at some puppies <laughs> while you continue on with this brutal-ass case. I'm telling you, I've been weeping Girl. for a week. <laughs> I can't stop because I just, I, I feel for these children. And I know how many out there are suffering. This is a high-profile case. You know, think about all the other ones that go unnoticed that aren't, pro- like, high-profile. Mm-hmm. It's devastating. 
So the children were in, in school very long, for obvious reasons. Um, in 1998, all the children were taken out of school and com- completely and were quote-unquote homeschooled, but we all know that that didn't actually happen. No. By 2000, they ended up bankrupt and Louise, by Louise's excessive uh, spending. She had a really bad spending problem, um, and their house was foreclosed. When the new owners walked into the house, they discovered scratches on the backs of the ba- of the bedroom doors. Oh God! Filth was everywhere. Excrement everywhere. They assumed the damages were from animals. They were treated like worse than animals. They were. Wouldn't even treat a dog. Those that are way. babies. Then they moved to a uh, more southern town in Texas called Rio Vista. This is where they would make their most remote house of horrors. This is literally in the middle of nowhere. Very, very rural area. Um, It is a house that had four bedrooms, two baths on 36 acres. Yeah, that's really remote. Yeah, and and you also got to think that all the neighbors also have a lot of acreage. So there's tons of acreage in between houses. So this place is... uh, This is horrendous. Sure, it was a fucking nightmare. There was eight kids at the time of them moving in, so four bedrooms is you know kind of squishy. They they lived there for another ten years, and by the time they moved out again, there was another four children. So they had twelve. Yeah. Um, Completely isolated from their extended family. Now they are not allowed to talk to anyone in their family whatsoever. Family was no longer allowed to visit. Phone calls dwindled. Skypes dwindled. It was no more. The Turpins did have a couple neighbors, but they weren't close, like I said. Um, But one couple that lived close by had two young girls, and they thought, wow, a new new family. Oh, friends for my kids. Friends for my kids to play with. And their kids did play with the Turpins a few times. But they had to stop allowing the girls to spend time with them when they realized that the Turpin children were just kind of off, that they acted very strange. They wouldn't look you in the eyes. They wouldn't talk to you. She, excuse me, they would, they would ask, like, what your name is. And the children would say, I'm not, I'm not allowed to tell anybody. You know, and it was just, they all acted scared. Um, but it was one time when the mother of the two girls down the street um, saw them playing, saw one of the Turpin little girls and happened to glance down at their hand and without thinking said, oh, I thought you were wearing white gloves. Her hands were stone white and it was almost like a line at the wrist. And the little girl said, "Uh, wash above the wrist, you're wasting water. Like, that was her natural response. That little girl didn't understand that what she was saying was, my hands look like this because my parents won't let me wash more than just this. That line was dirt. Yeah. It's fucked up. It was later stated that if the children, uh, yeah, had washed above the wrists, that they would get beaten profusely. Understand. One of the oldest children tried to escape at this particular house of horrors by running away down the dirt road. Someone stopped her, and because of how dirty she was, because of how frail she was, she looked much younger than she was, right? Mm-hmm. She looked like just a very small 
helpless little girl that had gotten into some dirt. And when she went to speak, her vernacular was so different because she was so underdeveloped that he, the, the person that pulled over to help thought that she was special needs. Yeah. And just brought her right back to the house. My God. I'm sure she was horrifically petty. Fucking terrifying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure this is Jennifer, the oldest, and I'm not going to speak on what she went through, but it's bad. The oldest, she was always treated the worst. They typically are Mm -hmm. in abuse cases. In 2007, the couple added a trailer to their property and made 10 of the now 12 children live and fend for themselves in this trailer off-site from the house. The two youngest, the babies, were allowed to stay in the house. Did they care for them okay when they were babies and helpless? Sometimes. I know that when the police raided them at the very end, the two-year-old child was not malnourished. But that was it. That was the only one. It's like they reach a certain age and then they're just like, They're no longer cute. They're no longer an accessory. Um, but they would just bring them weekly groceries. They would drop off a week's worth of groceries and it was never enough. And it was during this time that Jordan Turpin was seven years old. The one that made the 911 call. She was seven years old at the time. And this is when she remembers starving the most. She remembers finding the ketchup packets and mustard packets in a drawer and eating that and eating ice because she could, there was nothing else left. In 2010, there was another foreclosure on this house, which had them moving again, but this time they moved all the way to California. They left everything behind and just took the kids and left because it was a foreclosure. Right. So the house, their cars, everything on their property was left for the repo man to clean up. It ended up taking the mortgage company two months to clean up before putting it on the market. And even then, it was still in such bad shape. The agents that were visiting the property to assess it um, had to sign a waiver saying that they wouldn't sue if they, if, they, or if, they were, if they were injured in any way because the property was that bad. And that's after two months of cleaning. They just needed to tear that shit down. Yeah, it was, it was past that point. I don't know how they... They managed to save it because once once the family was gone, the neighbors got curious too because mm-hmm. they had heard. You yeah, know, of course. This is a small town, um, so the neighbors went over to the property to see what they had left behind, and this is what they had to say about the scene. They said that they could that you could see where they had the little homeschool desks and everything kind of set up. And this like big whiteboard was there, and everything for school was there. But it smelled awful. It smelled like death and decay and and feces. And you can tell that it wasn't like the school stuff wasn't used. It was just it was a prop. It was a yeah. prop. The rooms, the cabinets, the bathroom, the refrigerator, all of it had padlocks on it. They had toys everywhere, brand new toys, expensive toys, tons of fucking toys, untouched, piled up everywhere, as if to show them on a daily basis what they could have, but they can't. There were stacks of bicycles in the garage that had never been touched, still had the price tags on it, had rotted 
like dry rotted. All the tires dry rotted because they had never been used. They just bought them for appearances. Yep. Louise loved Disney. Loved Disney, like to a really weird degree. She, yeah. They went, they went on trips to Disney. They had all matching Disney outfits. She wore Disney outfits a lot. She even, um, they even had their license plates on their cars. Oh, girl. <laughs> You're hurting me. <laughs> Sorry. The, 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 the good place, <laughs> like all the people with vanity license plates go to the bad place. Yes. Um, <laughs> not knocking if you have one, but they had them and they had two cars. One said D-Land. <laughs> For Disneyland um yes. and one said DL forever and it's speculated because they don't know if it's Disneyland forever or if it's David and Louise oh I was gonna say download no they're not that cool no, um not. but no the whole house was hoarded with brand new toys that the children weren't allowed to touch oh, food, me off so food that much. the children weren't allowed to eat that were Louise's food and so much food that she couldn't possibly eat it all but they weren't allowed to touch it so full that pies was yes that was just it torment. was literally just torment you can look but you can't touch you know all usually I don't want people to get eaten by wild dogs Oh, I wouldn't Usually. mind this one. They I could get eaten by wild dogs. All the beds, the bunk beds, all, all of the places that they slept, even like just the mattresses on the floors, had restraints. The children were not just restrained with ropes. They were also sometimes hogtied. But also, once they figured out that they could get out of the ropes, they moved on to chains. Um, and the mattresses, you could tell the children were chained or bound to their beds for long periods of time. I'm talking months and months and months because their their waist had deteriorated the mattresses underneath them. Oh, Some of the mattresses had nothing left. It, it had just eaten through, eaten through it. My God. And these are children. The bathroom was so covered in black mold that it actually rotted all the way through the floor. I'm surprised none of them died. Yeah, I'm so, I'm very shocked and surprised that, that they all lived. Um, the neighbors said that they were walking through the hoarded house um, and with the filth piled up, like waist high, they, as they were walking through, rats were just like, like jumping through all of the, the trash and stuff. And they noticed the smell and they realized that there was dead dogs underneath the trash, like in their trash. So they're hoarding animals too? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the cleanup crew that later came found two live chihuahuas that had been surviving for months. Off the trash. Off of a mound of dirty diapers. Oh, poor little dogs. David's pickup truck that he left there was filled in the back of the pickup, was filled with dirty diapers and cans of Vienna sausage. It's, it's suspected that that's what the children were eating most of, is just living off Vienna sausages. Yeah. So, <laughs> I know. This is a really hard case to get through. And I'm not even telling the like a lot of the first-hand accounts because only two of the 13 children actually are speaking up about this. The rest of them want so the story heard. So we want to leave heard. them alone. Right. They yeah. want the story heard, but they don't want their individual accounts. They want to live their life. 
Um, so just what little information I have is so oh, hard to talk about. Um, I can only imagine what it was like being in it. So Texas laws on homeschooling are extremely lax, if non-existent at all. So when they moved to California, their restrictions are pretty low, but they did have some restrictions, being that they had to uh, register with the state, they had to have certain paperwork, shot records, and things like that. I'm sure they forged them because the children never went to go see a doctor. Um, but when they moved, David registered their new house in Marietta, California, as the Sandcast day school and labeled himself as the administrator and principal and Louise was labeled as their teacher but obviously neither of them did any of those things they lived in Marietta for a while and then they moved to Paris uh, which is in the same county um, shortly after that and that's where the 911 call was made so it was almost a decade that they lived in California from 2010 to 2018. So almost a decade. It was reported that they did allow the older boys to attend the local community college. But when they did get to go to classes at the community college, Luis would literally go with them and make sure they didn't talk to anybody. My God. Creepy. Um, But obviously that didn't last very long because nobody could deal with that. For the other almost decade, from 2010 to 2018, the family lived in the suburbs of Southern California in the most unassuming house and the most unassuming street, where eventually Jordan Turpin would later emerge and expose the whole family for its secrets. During that time, a plan took place for two years. Yeah. Two years, Jordan and Jennifer planned out the great escape and it's just so terrifying to me that it was day in and day out for two years i'm really really proud of them though because they did a really good job you know well i know they they were scared they had no idea about the outside world they don't know how to navigate the outside world so other than going on their weird prop vacations and and jennifer getting to be in school for like a couple years they don't know shit about other people or the world well they (laughs) so as the children are getting older the parents i mean they're exhausted from being parents obviously there's 13 of them but they start to realize that the older ones can look after the younger ones and they want to kind of like relive their youth that they didn't get to have so they're really into partying they're really into like being out a little bit more and so it's not that the rules around the house got a little bit lax it was just the mom and dad were out a little bit more so jordan had a little bit more time Um, in her early teen years to uh, sneak around like a teenager would. So she was able to find an old cell phone, um, like the one that she used for calling 911. Her older brother um, and maybe a couple of the older siblings were allowed to have cell phones if they went out to get a job or something like that. They had to stay in constant communication with Louise. Also, one of them had to have a cell phone at all times so that way when Louise went out, she could grill them and talk to them and all that stuff. So, um, anyways, Jordan Turpin would take one of their cell phones and go sit in the bathroom and record herself singing 
and she started a YouTube channel, and it's the most precious, sad little thing. Oh, but yeah, it's pitiful. Because she doesn't really understand the world or anything like that, but she thinks, maybe if I can get on this thing called social media, you know what I mean? And then I'll get famous. No, that somebody yeah. somebody will hear me yes. and come save me. That's what she's thinking. And so she's singing she's trying to really sad songs. songs. Yeah. Yeah, and someone did. Someone did see, and they were like, why are you always up at night? Like, she, the, the kids were only allowed to be up at night. They were not allowed to be up during the day. So that way the neighbors wouldn't see them. Right. And probably for other reasons. But, um, so she's always up at night. She's always really sad. And they were like, what's wrong with you? And she told them, they're like, you need to get help. And that was one of the very first indicators to her that, okay, something's not right. This is not normal how I'm Right, doing. right. Another thing she got to see when she snuck the phone was Justin Bieber. I know she loves on YouTube. She, she saw Justin Bieber and not only was he about the same age as her, but also he was going through the same emotional stuff that teenagers go through. It resonated with her. That resonated with her. Yeah. But then she'd see the music videos and see a nice clean home. He, she'd see interactions with children and their parents and it was happy and it was nice. And there was like teenagers going shopping and people having friends and like, that's the real world. She realized that's really what people go through and that this is not, she finally had the contrast. She finally had the contrast to say, okay, this is what's right. What I've been experiencing is wrong. You know, it, it's, it's one, it's that one whole thing part to know that something's of, wrong. That whole part of the Diane Sawyer special with her gave me fucking chills because bald. I bald. <laughs> because it's just, she's so earnest and so honest and so precious. She, uh, Diane sweet. Sawyer was like um, talking about Justin Bieber and, and uh, Jordan's like, oh no, I didn't get to talk to Justin. She's like, no, I know that. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, you know, so just precious. so honest and so yeah. precious. Um, I just love that Justin Bieber played a part in her escape because it was a huge part of her deciding, okay, enough is enough. She was inspired. Yes. And you know what? We can knock the Biebs all we want. Again, I maintain we knock things that teenage girls like because we hate women. Yeah. But, you know, I won't get on my soapbox. But the power of music and art to inspire people to such heights of bravery mm-hmm. is really inspiring to me. Right. So, you know what? Good job, Justin Bieber. I know. Uh, yeah. So, so happy that there was a time and a place for that. We don't cringe I mean. in the year of our Lord 2022. <laughs> we embrace our cringe is what we do. So, um... Also, while they were out, uh, the parents were out, the, the kids were allowed to, or at least able to watch some TV. And one of the things that they were able to watch on TV was cops. And that actually allowed them to understand what to do. She had no idea that a, um, like a disabled cell phone could make a 911 call until she, she until she saw cops. She... They really started to study, like Jennifer and Jordan started to study the way that cops interacted with people and the types of questions that they would ask and how they started to notice how you needed evidence, right? Yes. It was because of the cops show that she realized she needed to take evidence of what was going on because if she didn't, no one would believe her. No one would believe her and they'd send her straight back home. So fucking smart too. 
Right. So fucking right? smart. So as as she left, it kind of shit hit the fan. Shit hit the fan. Not only were her her siblings chained up, but also her mother had found out about her watching Justin Bieber YouTube videos and had drug her by the hair and strangled her. Oh God! And she was so scared that she could. She she was like, I I could have died that night, and since I lived, I gotta go save my my family. I gotta save my brothers and sisters. But, well, they are they're each other's world. Yes, yes, they're the only thing keeping each other alive. And the parents had threatened to move again, and I, it wasn't clear exactly where they were trying to move. She to. thought it would remove her chance of getting mm-hmm. home because once you move to a new place, you're a new family. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nobody knows. So she took her chance and she ran with it. Um, God, I'm just so fucking proud of her. For real. So fucking proud of her. Um, But yeah, before she escaped, she got that cell phone out and one of her sisters was like, hey, remember, you got to get evidence. So as she's leaving the house, she's going through and taking pictures with her cell phone. Amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, and that brings us back to the 911 call that Jordan made as soon as she got out of the house. Um, the officer at the scene approached and escorted her to his car, called for backup, and she led them to her house. She didn't, of course, have to get out of the car, thank goodness, because her little heartbeat was... Poor baby. Um so the police go up there and they don't need a warrant because there's children involved. They just do a wellness check. Yes. And uh, it takes them a while to answer the door because they're panicking. They're panicking they are inside. Panicking. Um, and actually, like several knocks in, several minutes later, the police are literally about to turn away and the door opens and it's Luis and David right there. And... Um, they're breathing very heavily. That's obviously they've been running. <laughs> they didn't just wake up like they said they had. Police enter the home and find twelve children in their beds, and uh, a seven-year-old and a fourteen-year-old with marks on their wrists and the marks on their beds from the chains. But the chains had been taken off. Mm-hmm. Um. They they end up later finding the chains, and you know documenting that but um it wasn't until police were leaving the scene this the, the, for some reason this part gets to me really bad because they go throughout the house they find all the children they talk to them they you know let them know that they're okay and there's still a few unaccounted for and the whole time David is just leaning against this big stack of boxes. The whole house is, like, filled to the brim with boxes and stuff. And David's just leaning against the stack of boxes. And the officer that he's talking to goes, huh, that's a door frame. You blocking some kids in there. Yeah. You son of a bitch. Yeah. And he's like, David, is that a door? And he's like, oh, oh this whole thing? <laughs> well, would you look there? Yeah. I didn't even know. And it was in... It was in that room that he was... And the room was, like, right next to the front door. So those kids inside heard the cops come save all their siblings. I thought they wouldn't be saved. Because there was one... There was two siblings... There was three siblings in there. Mm-hmm. Two were just in bed, and one was... Chained It was a 22-year-old. Their 22-year-old son chained up. God damn, pisses me off so much. Obviously had been chained up for months. This boy was in extreme state. Whew. 
So they were just, yeah, yeah. The parents were just going to allow that to just be left just like that. So, yeah, they were arrested. Good. Um, All the children, including the adult children, were taken to the hospital, and it was determined that several of the children had cognitive impairment and nerve damage due to the abuse. They had atrophied muscles, pale skin, and vitamin D deficiencies. One of them acquired scoliosis from maltreatment. That's so fucked. They were all malnourished, specifically uh, severe caloric malnutrition associated with muscle wasting. For example, one child aged 12 was the weight of an average seven-year-old. The oldest, Jennifer, aged 29, weighed 82 pounds. It was stated in medical records that several of the children... Oh, sorry, I reread that. (laughs) I got fucked up off the 82 pounds. Um, But at least they got to go to the hospital. They, as soon as they got to go to the hospital, they felt some sort of relief. They were at least able to finally bathe. They got brand new clothes. They got to eat warm food. They finally had a chance to exhale and feel safe. For a minute. For a fucking minute. Um, because the shit show that's our world just keeps going. It really does. It really does. Um, because they needed extensive medical treatment, this is, um, this is not just going to be like a couple days stay. This was months, if not years of recovery. But, um, this is the first time that they actually received kindness from strangers and the first time they felt relief. Their, uh, Diane Sawyer during the interview asked Jennifer about her first realization that she was safe. Jennifer said in quote, the music was playing in the hospital. I got up and I made sure there was a little bit of room on the floor cleared and I danced. Oh baby. They had these just amazing fucking children is what pisses me off. They're They're amazing. They're good kids. They're like good. They're goodness. It just shines through. They were not shown any kindness, empathy, or goodness, and yet they they were anyway. So, hey, uh, anytime I run into an asshole, I'm like, well, what the fuck is your excuse? Yeah. Yeah. These babies went through hell and only are sweet. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying mash down your bullshit and never have a bad day. No, no, no. I'm talking about assholes. Yeah. Uh, the Turpin parents were arrested and charged with 12 counts of torture. One count of uh, to David for lewd act on a child. Seven counts of abuse of a dependent adult child. Six counts of child neglect or abuse. Twelve counts of false imprisonment. The, the reason why it's twelve is because the, the infant is excused. Yeah. Um, they pled not guilty, and the bail was set for $12 million each. Fucking good. It was a long, stupid trial, but by the end of it in February 2019, the Turpin parents did end up pleading guilty uh, of 14 felony counts including cruelty to dependent adult child, uh, child cruelty, torture, and false imprisonment. They were sentenced to life with the possibility of parole in 25 years, and I'll be damned. I'll be damned. I'll write a letter. And once the story hit the media, an outpouring of kindness came to the children. Toys and clothes were sent to them. Over $3 million was raised with the help of J.C. Duggard. 
Dugard. Uh, Dugard, yeah, that's mm-hmm. how you say it. Um, whose case we are going to be covering next spring. That's right. I think it's March's month. We'll see. Um, but she started a nonprofit called the JC Foundation, which helps survivors through therapy. And she has horses on her farm. I love she's an amazing horses. woman too, y'all. I love therapy horses. Um, she, yeah, she's she's a great story. Badass. Yes, I was gonna do her for the Survivor Month that we just We're had. Saving it for something else. We're having a different Survivor Month yeah, later. Yeah, You'll yeah. see. You'll be there. Um, but yeah, she helped raise a lot of this money for the children. Mm-hmm. They never saw a cent. Not a fucking penny, Not y'all. One fucking cent. Prepare to get pissed. Hardly any of the gifts that were sent to them were received, and the money was placed in a trust controlled by the court-appointed public guardian, motherfucking Vanessa Espinoza. Fuck you. This Fuck bitch, you guys. Fuck you, dude. Fuck you. I just, she's so pretty and so young. She has so much going for her. Like, why are you such a terrible human being? Morally bankrupt. Uh, Well, not physically, thanks to the Turpin children. No, they went from one house of horrors to the next house of horror. The fucking system that was put into place to keep them alive, safe, and well. They promised, and I don't know how many press releases that they were going to take good care of these kids. Good care of these kids. And make sure these kids had a safe place to live, food and shelter and opportunities. They didn't get that. Not a single one. They got put in really dangerous situations in foster care. Very dangerous situations. Extreme abuse. Extreme sexual abuse. Bad parts of town. They were force-fed until they were made to throw up, and then they were made to eat that throw up. After they'd gone through that. And that was their life. After people came in. You get saved, and you have to go right back to a different house of horrors. At least they knew who their abusers were. These are brand-new abusers. You mean to tell me that you're going to be... You're going to be stuck in a house your entire life. The second you see freedom, you're right back in that shit. And not a one of the babies are did they, a thing. How are they supposed to have any faith in humanity? But they still do. They still fucking do. God damn it. It hurts me because world don't deserve the Turpin children. No. No. Okay. No, not not whatsoever. Mm-mm. And they are currently in a legal battle to sue this woman for Good. their money. Um, they need their money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't have anything, you guys. Absolutely. So I do believe that um, hasn't Jordan written a book or something like that? She is in the process of writing a book. Excellent. Um, she wants to become a public speaker and. Um, make a difference in the world. Is there the any going to be any links we can support these kids? I have links. I can't find an actual like donation support I'll, link. I'll dig. But I will tell you this. Jordan Turpin is all over TikTok, girl. Like Y'all have to follow Jordan Turpin on TikTok. Do it. Follow her. She's amazing. Like her shit. Share her shit. Comment on her shit. You know that every single comment that somebody makes, her little heart gets a little bit brighter. Let's restore her faith in humanity. Seriously. And maybe in some of the comment sections or maybe in some of... I I watched a lot of videos. It's mostly her dancing. Um, But 
there might be something in there that you can help out with. Even just getting her views on on uh, TikTok. Yeah, let her make some, some money. money. Fuck. Yeah. Um, Jennifer Turpin said morally that teachers are the only people that should have to speak up when they see something like this. And let, let me, you know your kid's being a shit at school. And if you put a fucking, you don't let that occur. And, and don't, don't, like, and if it's already been going on, at least find a way to make up for it. But talk to your children about the way they speak about other people, even if it's not to their face. Yes. You know. Because that, people can feel that shit, y'all. It's, it's, let's just be honest. The 90s, the 80s, the early 2000s, they're done with. It's no longer funny to make fun of somebody else's appearance. That's not funny. Or how they smell, or what color they are, or how they wear their hair, yeah. or if they can't afford the expensive clothes. It's not funny. It's, it's not, not fucking funny. funny. So let, let's, let's It's not funny when a grown-ass person does it, and not funny when a little kid does it. This toxic environment in schools needs to fucking end. These are the type of people you're tormenting. They're already tormented. Stop it. Let's raise some people that look out for one another. Let's raise the people this, that is how we make a contribute. world the world a better place. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. the little ripples, mm-hmm. and it starts with us, mm-hmm. and it ripples out, and it can change the whole world. But we all got to do it. There was a. Uh, this story reminds me of a little girl that I remember from elementary school. There was a me couple too, other than my um, own self, right? But yeah. there was this one little girl that made herself my friend, and I remember her being. Um, you know, dirty, skinny, had some crowns on her teeth, messy hair. And I remember one day she boasted to me that she had 100 Barbie dolls. And I said, that girl's lying. And I got so fixated on the fact that she was lying that I didn't realize that she was just trying to have some sort of common ground and make a friend. She she thought you were cool. She thought I was cool and she wanted to be cool. And and me, Baby Willow, should have... At least it, an adult should have told me. Yes. That that, Honey, you were that model that lie, no good behavior. But just think about it. If an adult would have told me what that really meant and I could have befriended her in a different way, you know? Yeah. I understand what, what Jennifer's classmates feel looking back. So yes, let's raise a generation too. that doesn't look back on what I do too because I was raised in affluence. I was mm-hmm. upper middle class mm-hmm. and up until fourth grade I was not bullied. Right. And I saw the kid who smelled weird. The right. one who picked their nose. The kid who had head lice and was dirty. The, the crowns on their teeth. The crowns on their and little teeth. And everybody wants to make fun of that. I I thought it was cool but you know. Like you've got a grill. <laughs> awesome. You look really neat but you know but here I sit, I feel like, this is going to sound really dumb, and I don't want anyone to take my experience and, and say it has to be like them, but I came from never miss, like never knowing a rough patch, other than the abuse at home. I don't want to talk about that. I mean, just money-wise. Yeah. To being homeless, to struggling every day for every single penny I get now. So where I probably need to go to the dentist, but it may just kill me. I can't right. afford to go. Same. Same. It's in God's hands, y'all, because right. it sure ain't in my bank account. Right. And I'm glad for it because it took that shitty little turd who grew up with everything right. material-wise, and it made me see it. It made me see and walk in other people's shoes. And then, you know, you go and you sit there and you think of all those interactions you had right. when you didn't know no better and you were a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And you're like, God, if I could just go back. This is why Blink... Um, I have just the biggest weight on my shoulders, weight on my heart that... 
I want to make a difference. The, one of the main things that I want to make a difference in is the school lunches. Yes. That is a huge piece of my heart. As I can't as, like, imagine a baby sitting there not getting no food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you want to, this month is about all about we're supposed to give thanks and shit. It's a dumb colonizer holiday and it can go fuck itself. I have right. friends giving for all the orphan people who've been rejected. Right. But what I want you to do is maybe not buy some extra food for Thanksgiving and maybe donate to some of these places we're going to link. That's how we're grateful, y'all. Not having a big fucking materialistic holiday, but by making those little ripples. So let's make some ripples. Yeah. And and if you've made some ripples, tell me about it. I want you to brag on yourself. Yeah. It's not it's not kosher, I know, to brag on yourself after you do something, but I want you to brag on yourself. Please. Mm-hmm. So I after this episode, I'm not really feeling business time. I'm really yeah. sad. I just I just want to weep. I'm gonna go home and hold my baby and weep. I'm gonna um, eat I've a been weeping cake. for about a I'm week now baby. because I literally can't stop thinking about these children. It's so sad. Um, and you know, we we can I heard, hear a lot of rhetoric around this case of condemning people who saw and heard, y'all, CPS did them fucking dirty as shit. Yeah. Who do you call them? Who do you call? And I want... Our system is broken. system's broken. We got to you know? do something. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say we got to look out for each other. Because y'all, if we're relying yeah. on the government to take care of us, I've got news. They don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. They are more than ambivalent towards poor and disenfranchised people. They're antagonistic. So we got to take care of each other. And we got to have these hard conversations Mm -hmm. with our loved ones, with our kids. So I'm sorry this episode was rough, but I think it was important. And Willow, you did a good job as per usual. But I love each and every one of you very, very much. (laughs) And if all you can do right now is just support our podcast by listening well, you know what? Thank you. Maybe refer a friend. Be like, you should listen to the Cruelty Podcast. Yeah. Word of mouth helps. Hit Sorry, I'm like exploding. <laughs> I'm just like crying. Apple Apple Podcast rate and review. That's always a nice thing to yeah. do. Unless it's mean, then shove it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Not there. It's mean. I love y'all. Yeah, I love you too. You guys have a wonderful evening and we'll see Hug you next time. Hug each other. Time. Do it. Find us on your social media platform of choice. Linktree slash cruelty has all of the links. Check out our Patreon for exclusive episodes, merch, ad-free episodes, live ghost hunts, and much more. Please be sure to subscribe. New episodes are uploaded weekly. Thank you so much. See you next time. Music and production by Willie B.